You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. You know, last week we began this conversation talking about revival. Last week I shared how I feel like God has put a specific word on my heart for this year for our church, and that is revival. Last week we talked about how if everyone wants revival, everyone wants to see revival in the nation, revival in, in the world. They want to see, you know, the nations come to Jesus. But if we're being honest, revival has to start in us first, like in me personally first. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about how, uh, we talked about revival in me. And this week we're going to be talking about revival in us How revival in me is the first step, but revival in us is the second step. Revival in us, meaning revival in our church, revival in the church in America. Sorry, I took communion and I have some, uh, you know, some of that wafer crumbs in my teeth. I don't want to be choking and hacking it up here. Um, uh, We're going to be talking about revival in us. And what I want to look at today is a story in the Old Testament. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And... Have you ever been reading the Old Testament and you read a story and you wonder, how in the world does that apply to me today? Anybody? And you've been reading a story and you think, wow, that sounds like a totally different God than the God that I think I know today. Anybody ever felt that before? I have. And so today, here's what I want to do, is I want to look at a story from 2 Samuel chapter 6, and it's a unique story. You've probably heard it before if you've been in church. It's a unique story in the fact of, it's a story from, uh, about King David. And in this story, I want to see and show you how it directly applies, applies to revival in us, revival in us as a church and as the church across the world. Uh, okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 6. Before we get into it, though, a couple things with this story. Uh, this story is from the life of King David, and it's one of the first decisions that King David makes as king is he's going to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God from the Philistines, their enemy. Uh, Saul, King Saul had previously lost the ark in, in war, and it's been missing now at this point for 20 years. It's been missing for 20 years. So Israel has gone 20 years, technically, without the presence of God uh, with them. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a second here. In the Old Testament, the spirit and the presence of God was contained in a singular place, the ark of God, the ark of the covenant. It was contained in that place. But here's what's amazing is as we compare it, just to remind us all, in the New Testament, uh, in the New Covenant, the Spirit of God no longer dwells in places, but in people. How many of you are thankful for that? We are now the temple of God. We get to carry the presence and the power of God with us wherever we go. We don't have to just go visit it once in a while. We can actually carry it with us everywhere that we go. It's no longer dwelling in a place, but in a people. Um, and many times when we talk about the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God, um, many people think about the Indiana Jones movie. Anybody? Is that where your mind goes, right? Uh, and people's faces melting off. Uh, that's not exactly what we're talking about today. Um, so even though your, your mind may go there, uh, that's not exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about how in the Old Testament, right, uh, in, in the Old Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God, and it was behind a tent, and they called that place the most holy place or the holy of holies, and, and once a year, the priest could go and make sacrifices on behalf of the people and basically interact with the presence of God. It was a very sacred thing. Um, it was a very sacred thing. I need to set that up as we get into this story, though, because this story is very interesting in the fact that there's some surprising things that take place, and many times we react in a way that we think, 
God, why would you do that? Why would you treat your people that way? But here's how it applies to us. Revival in us. I'm t- last week we talked about three steps to revival in me. Today is three steps for revival in us. And the first one is this. We must take personal responsibility. If we're ever going to see revival in the church, we have to take as individuals personal responsibility. We must take personal responsibility. Let's start in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, David again, he brought together all the able young men of Israel, all the the mighty men, the warriors, 30,000 of them. He brought them together. They went out and they go and they get the Ark of the Covenant. And they set the Ark of God, verse 3, the Ark of God on a new cart. And they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. So here's what we see. I want to stop right here and talk about this for a second. Here's what we see. 20 years, the nation of Israel had missed out on the presence of God. For 20 years, they had operated and lived their lives without the presence of God nearby. And here's what I would say when it comes to revival. Every great revival begins when someone takes personal responsibility and they decide that what we have done and what we have half-heartedly continued to do is not going to work for where we're going. Let me say that again. Every great revival begins when someone takes personal responsibility and they decide that what we have done and what we have half-heartedly continued to do, meaning we just got in a rut, we're just doing it because that's what we're supposed to do, is not going to work for where we are going. And that's what we see in Israel. Someone, David, he says, no, we've gone long enough without the presence of God. So let's go do something about it. Let's go after it. Every revival starts with a group of people um, personally rediscovering a hunger for God himself. That's what King David did. He said, let's go get the ark of God. What, What did it represent? The presence of God himself. Not just an idea of God, but it was let's go get God's presence, like himself, rediscovering a heart personally and a hunger for God himself. And how that applies today is simply this. There, we, we need to rediscover and take personal responsibility in rediscovering a hunger for God himself, not a hunger for feel-good sermons or a perfect program or a culturally relevant service, right? If we're not careful, the American church, yeah, we, we face a little bit of pushback, but we got it pretty good compared to the rest of the world, The American church has it pretty good compared to the rest of the world, but here's why that's dangerous. It's because the American church can build a lot without the presence of God. And that's the temptation, being a church leader. It's easy to say, well, we're going to do this program and start that ministry and do this thing and do that thing, and it's all good ideas. They're not bad ideas from the devil. However, if those ideas are not inspired by God, then we're just building something for our own sake. We're building our own organization in the name of church, but God's presence isn't anywhere near. The children of Israel, the, the, the people of Israel, 20 years, they operated and lived their life without the presence of God. And it's easy, when times are easy, it's easy to build your life and build the church without the presence of God. But we still go to church, so we feel good about ourselves, yet we don't even know him personally. We must take personal responsibility. So here's what we see. David takes 30,000 men to retrieve the ark of God, but in doing so, they actually violate one of the principles of God. Because in in Numbers 4, Moses outlines how the ark is supposed to be transported. It's supposed to be transported on the soldiers of Levite priests. It's supposed to be transported up here. The weight of it on me. 
But here's what we see in verse 3. They set the ark of God on a new cart. On a new cart to bring it back home. Here's where the issue begins. For us, that can mean a lot of different things. They went out and they got a new cart and they put the, the presence of God on this new cart to be pulled by the ox so it would make their life a little bit easier. They were doing the right thing. Let's retrieve the presence of God and bring it back home. But here's what happens. Many times we do the exact same thing, right? God is, God is wanting to move in our church, but instead of moving how he wants to move, many times we will come in and we'll say, well, we're just going to make a new program or a new strategy or a new initiative or a new organization. And God's saying, I didn't, I didn't tell you to do any of that. I'm telling you to do it this way. And that's why at Abide Church, we always say our plan is plan B. Do we have a plan? Yes, but it's plan B, and God's plan is plan A. Because when we don't do things according to how God is prompting us or how he has told us to do it, we get into big trouble. We get into huge trouble. And here's, here's what this means for revival in us, is that many times, just like they relied on a new cart, people, especially in America, we're relying on a new program to bring revival. Like if the church just had all the right programs, there would be, revival would be in and amongst us, right? But programs can't carry revival. People carry revival. Programs can't carry revival. People carry revival. If we're ever going to see revival in the church, it starts when people saying, we don't put the presence of God on a cart or in a program. I put it on here on me, and I carry the presence of God with me. I'm going to take some responsibility and do it. Programs don't carry revival because revival is not an object to be held. It's an intimacy to be had with a lovingly heavenly father. It's, it's intimacy. That's revival. It's intimacy with my heavenly father. Programs can't take you where personal commitment and dedication will. Programs can't take you where personal commitment and dedication will. Programs can't substitute personal responsibility, meaning this. We get, we get we, many times... We, just in general, we get, we get caught up blaming our lack of spiritual growth on the church rather than saying, I haven't been doing my part. And that's the hard pill to swallow. Because we're relying on programs, the new cart, or at least it's a new cart, right? It's not an old cart. Bring the new cart, put it on there. But God said, that's not how I designed it to work. That's not what I have for you. That's not how I told you to do it. Yet that's what we do all the time. Well, if the church would do this, this, and this, if the church had this ministry, they would do that, then I would. No. In the New Testament, if you're a believer, you are called a priest. It's our job to take personal responsibility to carry revival. But too many people are waiting for the church to create the perfect situation for them to experience God. And that's not how it works, right? It's, it's not enough for Pastor Dan to be revived on your behalf. It's not enough for the church to be revived on your behalf. If you want revival in your life, don't tell someone else to build a cart and carry it for you. You must take the responsibility to carry it on your shoulders, right? Build us a cart. And we'll, we'll, you know, and we'll get the oxen to carry it. We'll, 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 and we say, build us a program and we'll get someone else to labor for it. Right? Once you have that built, then we'll be apart. That's not what God's saying. Right? Many times we say the same thing. I'll serve when, when they start that ministry. Or I want to help lead that new ministry, but I haven't been faithful where I am. Right? God, God's desire for you is that you would take so much personal responsibility in stewarding his kingdom and being involved in his church that you can't just roll over on Sundays and no one notice. 
Like, if, if I decided to roll over this morning and didn't come into church, uh, we'd be in a weird situation, right? Now, I'm sure some of our leadership team would step in and they would make church happen. But why? Because I've taken personal responsibility. Talk to my wife, Leslie, when it comes to the kids' ministry. Talk to Pastor Parker and his team. If we just roll over, people are counting on us. And not only that, we don't know who's going to come in that needs us, that God needs to speak through me to that person, whether I'm preaching a message or if I'm just holding the door open for somebody. God wants to use each of us taking personal responsibility to steward his kingdom so much that I can't just passively slip through the cracks anymore. Why? Because a few of those priests, if they, didn't, if they took the ark of God off their shoulders, what's happening? It's falling. God's saying, I want you to carry it. I want you to carry it. God is inviting you to carry this for yourself. Why? Because God, when God, God wants you to feel the weight of its responsibility on your shoulders. And this is what we miss many times in America because, again, we got it pretty good, right? At me, my be, by me preaching this morning, I'm not risking being beheaded after this. But in other places, I am. If I would preach the same message, if I would see, even preach Jesus, I would risk that someplace else. Here I am not. We got it pretty good. God wants you to feel the weight of it. Why? Because when you feel its weight, you learn or you lean more into God's presence than you normally do. He wants you to <laughs> feel the weight so that you stay close and you lean into him, which what? Grows your relationship with him intimately. But if I'm not carrying the weight, I can be as far away from the presence of God as possible, but I'm just a part of it and I'm watching from a distance, but God's saying, I want to be close with you. I want you to carry this. Will you partner with me? That's what he's asking. Will you partner with me? And there's a fine balance, and this is what's, this is what's interesting with partnering with God. There's a balance between we're going to partner with God and do our part, and then at the exact same time, we're going to keep our hands off of it so that he can do what he wants to do. And if you've been in ministry before, you know exactly what it means. It's the same way with your life. i got to do my part so God can do his, but I'm going to do my part in such a way where when God says to do something, my hands are so far off of it that he can do what he wants to do. Okay, let's continue on. 2 Samuel 6, we're going to skip down to verse 5. David and all of Israel were celebrating. Think about it, 30,000 people coming, celebrating with all their might before the Lord with uh, castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and he took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? This is one of those stories, right, where it's like, Man, that sounds a little harsh, right? Uzzah's was just trying to help. God strikes him down. Uzzah thought that God might need his help to stabilize this thing. But can I rem remind you of the God, how powerful our God is? He doesn't need our help, but he invites us to partner with him. And that's the difference. God needs me. Does he want you? Yes. Why? Because he wants to partner with you to build relationship. Uzzah steps in to stabilize the cart, and, and in doing so, he, he is such an irreverent act that God strikes him dead. And many times this is what we do with revival, right? The problem was, step one, they wasn't supposed to be on a cart anyway. 
The oxen tripped. If it wasn't on the cart, we're not in this situation. It's the same way with the church. If we're not doing what God's asked us to do, many times we've put it on this, we put church and revival on this beautiful little program that goes from step one to step two, step three, whatever, and it's going, but then when things start to fall apart, we reach out to try to stabilize it, and, and it's a complete disaster. The thing is we have to realize when it comes to revival, you can't manage revival. Either you let God have his way or you get in the way. That's how it works. Either you say, God, it's what you want to do in my life and in my church and in my family's life, or you get in the way and you keep God from doing what he wants to do in your life. But how many times do we pray for revival? And revival actually shows up, but it takes us and it makes us uncomfortable and takes us to an uncomfortable situation because in the story, what I love is that it takes us to the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a place of separation. It's where they would separate the good from the bad of the crops. And this is where revival will take you. You will have to choose, will I truly go all in with God or am I still going to hang on to the junk in my life? Always to the threshing floor. There's so many stories in the, in the Old Testament where the threshing floor is the spark of a move of God. And this is, the exact, this is one of those ones right here. It takes us to the threshing floor. Rather than, many times though, rather than submitting to God, we try to control it and do things our way in what we think makes the most sense. I try to take this and all that God has for me and all that revival could entail for my church and my family and my family tree, and I try to run it through this filter right here that is so limited, and I limit God. And because this might push me outside my comfort zone, I say, no, I'm not going to take that step because it seems too uncomfortable. And all the while, God is saying, but I gave you my Holy Spirit, who I have called the comforter for a reason, because you're supposed to live an uncomfortable life. I'm calling you to take steps of faith so that you will lean into me, so that it will stretch you. But here's what happens. Some people have traded a relentless pursuit of Jesus for a nice, safe, sanitized religious expression that never moves their heart, disrupts their schedule, never requires their finances, and it never inconveniences their life. They've traded a relentless pursuit of Jesus himself for something that never moves them to act in faith. It never requires more from them. It never inconveniences them. never disrupts their schedule. never requires their finances. And they've traded it for a cheap alternative. Build us a new cart. The cart wasn't supposed to even be in the picture. But the cart's a little bit easier. And it makes more sense up here. But God said, that's not my will. When I walk in agreement with God's will... Amazing things happen, and here's why. When we take personal responsibility, let me say it like this. Because of that, because I will refuse to let people trade that relentless pursuit of Jesus. This is why if Abide Church is your home, then we will relentlessly and unapologetically ask you to serve regularly on the A-team, to give generously with your tithes and your offerings, and we're going to tell you regularly, unapologetically, to get outside of your comfort zone spiritually so you can experience God in a revived way. Why? Because you're never going to experience God in your own safety comfort box. You're never going to experience him to the level that he wants to show himself to you. But some of you, you've got to take, you've, you've, you've take a step. And I know we have incredible, statistically, how much people tithe here, how many people uh, are involved here. We're doing pretty good. But can I tell you, we can always do better. There's some of you today that maybe you're sitting on the sideline and you haven't quite taken your step. Today's your day. 
Today's your day. Today's your day to take some personal responsibility. I want to see revival in the church. But have I done my part to see revival in the church? Or am I just hoping it happens so that I can just kind of follow along and be a part? Kumbaya, right? I got to take some personal responsibility. Let's not put God's presence on a cart where it never should have been, then try to control it when it doesn't go how we thought it should go. We got to take personal responsibility and be dedicated to God's word. Point number two is this. We must remain in God's presence. Remain in God's presence. You know, we're called abide church for a reason. Abide means to remain as one. And once you start to study abide, and obviously when you come here to abide church, we talk about that a lot, abiding and remaining, you begin to see abiding or a version of abiding everywhere in Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, and it's all the way through. And I'm going to show you even the Ark of Covenant, the, the Ark of God, how it abided somewhere. Second Samuel 6, we're going to skip down to verse 11. Continuing in our story, it says this, The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. A couple things to pull from this. After Uzzah dies because he tried to stabilize the ark, David gets mad. He gets upset at what happened, and he goes back home. He didn't, he didn't finish the job. He leaves it, and he goes back home. But then he gets report of the blessing that's come to Obed-Edom in his household. And this is where it gets interesting. I want you to know this. God wants to use the blessing in your life to provoke godly jealousy in the life of others. God wants to use the blessing in your life to provoke godly jealousy in the life of others, meaning this, God wants your life to look so drastically different that people will look at you that are far from him and say, I want what you have. That's what David did. David heard the report of the blessing and he said, I long for that. It was what his original intent was, but three months have passed and he says, I long for what he has. That's what God wants for you today when it comes to revival. And this is why you choosing to get off the sideline, to get active and take personal responsibility in the church is why it's so important to serve, to give, and to share. It's vital because you never know who it's going to impact. You never know who's ble the blessing on your life, who it will impact around you. It might be somebody you would never suspect, but I promise you God will use it to glorify himself and to bring people into his family and into his kingdom. It says the ark of God remained in the house of Obed-Edom. It abided in the house. What's the ark of God? It's his presence. The ark of God did not visit, casually attend, show up when it was convenient, or maybe once a month be involved. It remained. Abiding is everything. Why? Because it's relationship. If I never abide, I'll never know God intimately. Abiding is not difficult. It's simply remaining with him throughout your entire day. I get up, I acknowledge him, and I talk to him. As I go through my day, I acknowledge him and I talk to him. I read his word, I pray, I worship throughout my day. I just bring him with me. It's what it is. And by doing so, we remain as one. Here's what's amazing. Obed-Edom was a Gittite, which is a Philistine. Obed-Edom was the enemy of Israel. But God brought blessing to Obed-Edom. God brought blessing to the enemy of Israel. Why? 
presence. It's where his presence dwelt. Meaning this, he can't help it. When his presence is there, his goodness is there. Obed-Edom is only mentioned one other time in Scripture. In 1 Chronicles, it says that the sons of Obed-Edom served as priests in the tabernacle. Man, this is so good. Hear this. They weren't priests by lineage. They were Philistines. They weren't priests by lineage, but they were priests by presence. They were priests by presence. We serve a God who turns Philistines into priests. And I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you find yourself not so much on the priest side of things, but more so on the Philistine side of things. I've been far from God. I've been doing my own thing. I feel like I've been the enemy of God because of my actions, how I've treated people. We serve a God who turns Philistines into priests. And guess what? Not just for them. Obed-Edom, his family tree was changed. Why? Because he allowed the ark to remain with him. Never underestimate The power of you and your relationship, especially parents, hear me, your relationship with God, what it will do for your kids and your kids' kids. Doesn't matter what family curse you feel like you're battling. Doesn't matter what thing that the doctor said, well, this runs in your family. Guess what? When you abide close to the presence of God, all of that can go out the window because now you are submitting under a new bloodline, which is covenant bloodline, and none of that has any authority in your life anymore. And you can expect the blessing from it, not just to affect your life. Oh, we, I have, God's been good to me. He will be good to your kids and your kids' kids. He can't help it. It's presence. It's presence. Will I allow him to be that close? That's the power of raising your family in a church that submits to and remains in the presence of God. And here's number three is this. As we wrap up, we must be a living sacrifice. We must be a living sacrifice. Obviously, we don't serve a God who is the God of human sacrifice, but there is parts of our life that we must sacrifice in order to experience revival in the church and in our lives. Sacrifice fuels revival. Too many people want revival without any sacrifice. We want revival without, without having to, to take the responsibility personally or to do the work ourselves or to get a little dirty. But revival is fueled by sacrifice. Let me show you how how David, from this point on, how he treated the ark, getting it back to the city of David. 2 Samuel 6, we'll go to verse 13. It says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. It was seven and a half miles from, the, from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David. Seven and a half miles. And every six steps, David stops everybody. And he says, we're going to sacrifice right here. They finish, they take six more steps, shouting, worshiping God, six steps. We're stopping right here. I'm going to stop it all to sacrifice. Without reverence and without sacrifice, we cannot sustain revival. I've heard it said like this, you know, when Jesus was baptized and it said that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The Holy Spirit's not a dove, but it descended on him like a dove. Think of this picture for a second. And from that moment on, Jesus did everything in agreement to the Holy Spirit and in agreement with his heavenly Father. 
think of it this way. I've heard a pastor say it this way. Jesus then did everything. He lived his life as if a, a dove was resting on his shoulder. He did everything with the dove in mind. So think of it even in the natural, right? If a dove was on your shoulder and you wanted that dove to stay on your shoulder, how would you live your life? Pretty intentional, right? Any sudden movements, any, any, uh, any fast motions are going to spook the thing away. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take my time and I'm going to make sure that this dove doesn't leave, but I'm going to make sure that I do everything with the dove in mind. That's what David is showing us. Every step of my life must be done in reverence to God and with him in mind. Sacrificing things on the way in my life that don't need to be there anymore. Why? To keep him with me and to honor him. David did every six steps. We can do it every step. Not physically slaughtering animals, right? We get in trouble with that here in America, right? But uh, spiritually we can. Every step. Honoring God. Living sacrifice. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Meaning this, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means to live holy, to live above reproach, and to live in such a way that when the world looks at you, they know without a shadow of a doubt that you follow Jesus. Doesn't mean I gotta be weird, doesn't mean I'm running people off, doesn't mean I gotta stand on the street corner and preach, but it does mean that when I go to my job, when I'm on the job site, when I'm in the office, when I'm having a meeting, when I'm, how I treat my waiter, how I treat the person that's serving me, whatever it is, I do it in such a way that honors God. And by honoring God, I am living in a way that I'm sacrificing my flesh to bring honor to him. Even when someone wrongs me, even when that person cuts me off in traffic, even when that, that boss that I can't stand, he gets, they get after me again and I, I feel like I can't ever get ahead. They're just keeping me from promotion. They're not the Lord of your life. He's the Lord of your life. Get your focus off of them and live in such a way that you would sacrifice the feelings that you have towards them. God will deal with them. Live in such a way that you bring honor to him, holy and pure. Let's continue on, 2 Samuel, verse 16 says this, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, this would be um, David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Let's skip down to verse 20. When David re returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, his wife, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full, in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls that you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And look at this, and Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. This is a strict warning for us. Judgment of other people's authentic worship will create barrenness in your own life. Let me say it again. Judgment of other people's authentic worship will create barrenness in your own life. You want to kill revival in the church? Criticize someone else. 
who's worshiping God with a genuine heart, but you don't understand why they worship that way. And so you just critique them and criticize them. You see how it's important for us to take personal responsibility? We refuse to be a church that criticizes other people. They do it like us? No, (laughs) maybe not. But is it authentic? Then go for it. Then go for it. Usually in the heart of every critic is a person who is disappointed that they missed out. In the heart of every critic is a person who's disappointed that they missed out. We must sacrifice our pride and stop wondering what other people will think of us if we go all out in our relationship with God. A living sacrifice. It's no longer about me. It's him that lives in me. What are people going to think of me if I live, love, and look like Jesus at work? It's not about them. And here's the kicker when it comes to this. You can have control or you can have revival, but you cannot have both. You can have control or you can have revival, but you cannot have both. This is what David shows us. He's king, but what's he doing? He's dancing, dancing so much that his outer robe comes off. (laughs) And there he is dancing in this, this outfit that is disrespectful to the kings. His wife sees him. She despises him, right? Man, you can have control or you can have revival, but you can't have both. So the question is this, what thing have you been controlling in your life while at the same time you've been praying for revival? What thing have you just been, nah, I got it. And God said, if you would give it to me and do it my way, I will bring revival. Here's the reflection questions. The action steps I just gave you, it's those three things. Here's the reflection questions. First one is this. Have I taken personal responsibility to see revival in us? Have I taken personal responsibility? Meaning this, am I faithfully serving, giving, and inviting? If we're talking about revival in us, in the church, an easy three, three steps to start is that. Serving, giving, and inviting. And if you need help with any of those at your table, at the round table, there's cards for all of those. There's invite cards. There's join the A-team cards. There's, uh, there's envelopes that have different ways that you can partner with us financially so we can continue to spread the word of Jesus. Have I taken personal responsibility to see revival? Number two is this. Am I abiding or remaining in God's presence daily or am I just visiting him on Sundays? How dedicated am I to my relationship with him? And number three is this. Is my life a living sacrifice or am I too worried about other people's opinion of me? My brother Ben, he shared this. I've shared this before, but... The moment in his life where he truly began to go all in with Jesus is when he was working, and he was working in a different state, and none of our family was nearby, but he was working just kind of by himself, um, you know, away from family and friends, away from church family, and he was working in this company, and um, he was surrounded by guys all day, guys of the same age, guys that he could be friends with, and he had this thought, this Holy Spirit-inspired thought, and I thought this was so good, and he said, I was, I was reading my Bible, and he said, I, I, I just felt like God prompted me with this, that if if I told the guys at work that I was a Christian, what would their response be? Like, would they be surprised? Like, what? (laughs) Like, Ben? Christian? No, there's no way. Or would they be like, yeah, yeah, we knew that. You can ask that about yourself. Whether it's our work or whether whether it's just how how you handle yourself in public how you handled yourself on Facebook, right? If people read my Facebook, if they saw how I acted in public, would they know? 
That's how I know, am I being a living sacrifice or am I just conformed to the world? Do I stand out or not? If we're ever gonna see revival in us, we gotta take personal responsibility. Don't build the cart. Carts are a good thing. But when God says, put it on your shoulders, we say, yes, sir. We must remain in God's presence. We must become a living sacrifice. And when we do those things, just like David brought the presence of God back to Israel, so we will see a reawakening and a revival of God's presence and power in us and in the church moving forward. Amen? This should put some expectation in us that as we do our part and partner with God, he's going to do his part, which is the supernatural and the impossible. Man, our God is good. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. God, we thank you that you love us enough to give us your word, to give us stories that we can learn from as we look at the Old Testament, as we look at King David, Lord, someone who you loved. Lord, we thank you that we can take notes and we can apply it to our life. And God, I just pray for our church and I pray for the church across the world. Lord, I pray that this year would be a year of revival for the church, not just a by church. We're a part of your kingdom, that your kingdom on earth would truly be revived, God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us do our part, help us take responsibility, help us be intimate with you and remain with you, Lord. And God, I just pray that as we walk in obedience to you, you would do what only you can do. Outside of the natural, you would do the supernatural, you would do the miraculous, you would do the impossible. And Lord, as we do, help us continue to take every step, as David took six steps in sacrifice, Lord, to help us take every step with you in mind with our ear tuned into your voice and the voice of a stranger, we will not follow. And God, we thank you that 2022 will be the best year of our lives. Our best days are our next days. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com. 